good evening, good evening, good evening, or whatever time that you may be listening to this. Could be morning. Yes. Hopefully it's the morning. This is a good way to start your morning. This is a very good way to start your morning, although I'm not a morning person. Oh, I am. I am. I like waking up uh, too damn early um, and, and getting a whole bunch of stuff done and aligning my day. I am definitely someone who likes to sleep now. Yeah, I think I I think I want to be a person who like gets up and like gets things done in the morning. <laughs> and then I sleep through every single alarm that I have set. So Oh, this is not without effort. I have at <laughs> least four alarms that still get me out of bed at six fifteen. So I do know. not worry. Okay. Well that makes me feel better. Yes. So, um if you're listening to us <laughs> garbage out of our mouths. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Herlock Files podcast. It's so great to have you here. Yeah, we're excited. This is episode two. So it's going to be the Thanksgiving episode. Yes, the Thanksgiving episode. I mean, the end of November episode. Yeah, end of November. But like, yeah, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, yeah. sales. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you guys liked uh, episode one enough that we made a second one. <laughs> Heck yeah, we did. We, we didn't quit. We're we're keeping keeping on. We're sticking with it. Yeah. So if you are tuning in for the first time, go back to episode one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, stay here, hang out. We got stories. And then listen to episode one. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, obvi. Yeah. Listen to all of them. There are two. <laughs> there are a total of two. Um, but this is a podcast that you know uncovers stories of true crime and popular culture. So we're just two two goyles uh, who have a love and slightly deep obsession with uh, true crime as well as like video games and books and movies and all that stuff. And so we kind of are just banded together to uh, talk about it. Yep, and we definitely like to take it uh, piece by piece. So uh, we each like to explore um, a different case file every week. Um, we especially enjoy um, looking at a uh, video game um, and then also kind of tying it into whatever rabbit hole researched, um, ridiculously, uh, potentially gross and awful uh, story that is also absolutely fascinating because it explores um, those anecdotes of human history full of uh, deviance and and uh, sometimes scary stuff, but also sometimes of survival. So it's really important um, to to understand. Uh, and also, we both find it pretty fascinating. I can talk about it for days. For yeah, for days. Yes, um, days upon days. <laughs> and yeah, so this so for our for our second episode, since we're you know putting this out at the end of November, Thanksgiving will have just happened. So mm-hmm. what better way <laughs> to celebrate Thanksgiving? Then talking about cannibalism. <laughs> I can't even say it, it without laughing. I know. It's one it's regrettably one of my keenest interests when it comes to murder stories. And I feel so gross and uneasy talking about it, but also it is exhilaratingly fascinating, but also really gross and also a really cool topic to talk about. Yeah. Oh yeah. And boy did we find some rabbit holes. <laughs> I have so many pages of notes. I'm actually kind of ashamed how much I've written the word cannibalism. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, it's um, just, I'm it's concerned for whatever FBI agent is, like, reviewing our <laughs> web search history. 
the amount of things I have Googled, I'm like, are, am I going to be put on a list somewhere? I feel like I'm I might sure be put I'm on, a list. on a list. That's true. It's okay. We might, well, we might be on a list from last episode. So now we're yeah. just super on a list. We're at the top of the list. <laughs> They're like, should we be concerned about these ladies? America's um, most concerned. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're ta- we're talking about we're gonna be talking about cannibalism uh <laughs> so if you are squeamish you have been warned yes you have been um, warned and do remember that um although we do uh focus on on the crimes we are definitely uh respectful of both um victims um and also uh survivors when it comes to uh, many of these approaches um and if this just isn't something that you want to listen to uh we'll catch you later don't worry yeah, don't worry. Just make sure to give us five stars, but, like, don't worry about it. Yeah. No hard feelings. No, none at all. Yeah. So, and we picked some pretty good uh, video games to go along with each of these. I know I picked one of my favorite franchises. Yeah, so. yeah. I think, yeah. and I think even, like, last time, um, did we, I don't even think, we kind of picked the video game, but we kind of picked, like, the video game and the, like, subsequent, the pop culture, like, like piece of it yeah or and the subsequent like crime that we already like knew whereas this time we kind of just like picked our theme and then we're like well here's a video game like go for it like find yep. what you can find so these definitely like at least for mine i had no idea where this was gonna go um mine mine was a complete left turn due to one article <laughs> oh. and it was just like oh no i need to <laughs> no we need to go we need to go deeper we need to go deeper on all of this. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. But yeah, no, it's um, very good that you mentioned the whole respect thing, because that's obviously what we definitely want to be conscious of in terms of talking about these kind of topics. Um, yes. It's always important that, you know, this is like both, it, like, it, it's difficult to talk about true crime, because you don't want to be disrespectful to those who had the, to the victims, but at the same time, like, it's human nature is very fascinating in and of itself and so when you take human nature to these like dark and crazy places like it kind of intrigues the mind while also you have to like remember that these are people at the end of the day so yep and i will preface i don't go too much into the detail um of the crime but i do go into detail of the aftermath which is far more fascinating yeah we definitely Uh, don't want to get like too gruesome for anyone you know maybe listening to this over breakfast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry sorry um but yeah should i go first this time i think so because i went first last time and i'm totally good with with a trade-off and and mine i think will will definitely divulge into some uh what the fuck talks so okay cool uh, yeah so i would say take it away miss zoe all right mine's a little all over the place i was like so again our our theme cannibalism but like mine took a deep left turn <laughs> um i ooh, i fell into a rabbit hole but i think i think it's a good one i think it's a good one it, it covers a lot it's like a wide range of things um but so my game series that i we decided upon was uh the outlast series ooh, 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 which is like I have a love-hate relationship with these video games. I haven't actually oh, yeah. played the second one. Um, I was told not to, and so I've completely spoiled it for myself now. But um, I played both Outlast and the DLC, so I feel at least partially capable of talking about this. <laughs> um, totally. Uh, totally. Whistleblower is fabulous, yes. and I have opinions about Outlast, too, so don't worry. Ooh. Okay, so yeah. So, 
Um, but what I didn't expect was to literally happen upon all, like all of my favorite things while doing this research, which basically was like horror movies, um, specifically that of Wes Craven's. Please remember <gasps> that later. Ooh. Um, yes, my idol. <laughs> um, serial killers and cults. So, uh, with the addition of cannibalism, which is not... We are hitting all the high notes. All okay. of the high notes. Um, I'm so excited now. <laughs> now, cannibalism is not, like, my personal favorite topic when it comes to, like, true crime. I'm more of, like, the serial killer cult fascination person, but um, there is still cannibalism talked about throughout this. So, stay stay with me. Um I'm ready. So Outlast. Outlast, as you may or may not know, is a first-person psychological horror survival game made by Red Barrels. Uh, it was released on September 4th of 2013. That is some traffic that you may hear in the background. <laughs> nice choice sounds. Um, it, was, it was a little eerie. I kind of like it. You know, it. it sets the mood. Yep. <laughs> the, so the player takes on the role of an investigative journalist, Miles Upshur, who, uh, after receiving an anonymous email, goes to Mount Massive Asylum to see what's up in regards to the inhumane experiments being performed at the hands of the Murkoff Corporation, which are the owners of this private psychiatric hospital. Now, upon arrival, the place is ransacked, and the deranged inmates, which are known as variants, have escaped and are murderously roaming free. Uh, trying to find an exit, Miles presses on, encountering homicidal maniacs, demented patients, cannibals, and the hulking Chris Walker. Now, the gameplay is focused on stealth and free running, while the player operates a camcorder with night vision to see in the dark spaces. And documents can be collected uh, throughout the game, which give deeper story information uh, about both the corporation's experiments and the patient's experiences. So, Red Barrels has said that the gameplay was heavily inspired by Amnesia, The Dark Descent, as well as the found footage-esque mechanic that they have in the game. That was influenced by the movies like Quarantine and Wreck. Very nice. So, Wreck is a 20, uh, 27, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a year, 27, <laughs> <laughs> is a 2007 Spanish found footage horror film about a reporter and her cameraman who are covering some sort of firefighter intervention at like an apartment building. And after some of the building's occupants show animalistic and murderous behavior, the reporter and the cameraman have to find or find themselves confined inside this perilous building uh, and are trying to escape. Uh, Quarantine is the 2008 remake of that in America. Oh, nice. Okay. So both films are basically the same story, and they both end with the main characters, spoilers, being attacked and eaten by people. <laughs> so yay, cannibalism. There we go. There you go. Uh, but you can definitely see like where it ties into Outlast um, in terms of camcorders, found footage, being locked in a building with crazy people. No kidding. Now, as for Outlast, this game features a lot. Uh, so there's military and private human experimentations. There's cannibalistic inpatients. There's religious, ritualistic, like, fanatics. Um, so it's a lot. So first, starting with the government plot, which, again, this is one of my rabbit holes. Um, 
Now, there are horrific experiments conducted by the Murkoff Corporation, led by Dr. Wernick, who is a German scientist enlisted by the United States after the Second World War. He was brought over during the Operation Paperclip, which, by the way, is, like, a real thing. Like, Mm -hmm. this is all in, like, the the bio of Outlast, but Operation Paperclip was an actual secret program um, by the JIOA in 1945 to 1959, in which 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians were brought over for government employment. Uh, The purpose of this was military advantage in the Cold War and space race. They basically Mm -hmm. brought these people over to, like, try and help America be smarter. Um, So no shady stuff, just, like, fun fact. Like, there's some, you know, historical nods in Outlast. That's always really cool when they sneak that in there. Yeah, like real world shit. Like it yep. makes it much more believable. It has it has some nice contextual elements to it. Yeah, yeah. So the Markov Corporation attempted to advance uh, their Project Wall Rider, uh, which was a strange combination of the supernatural and the technological. So Wall Rider used dream therapy and human hosts to create a biotechnical swarm of nanites. And this was conducted out Mountain Massive um, on the patients that were there. Uh, now, in the game, the Murkoff Corporation took over the asylum in 2009, reopening it under the guise of a charitable organization in order to pursue their project. They took over after MK Ultra had used oh the boy. facilities during the 50s and 70s, uh, where patients admitted to Mount Massive were subject to an array of tests that changed their behavior, so often making them homicidal, which explains a lot. Um, yep. But MK Ultra was a program created by the CIA for the purpose of researching and developing drugs and procedures for interrogation and mind control, which, again, this really happened. Yes, it did. <laughs> um, the whole MK Ultra like tie-in is a real thing. MK Ultra was a top-secret CIA project, and... Uh, agency or the this the agency conducted hundreds of experiments sometimes on unwitting u.s citizens to assess the potential use of lsd and um other drugs for mind control information gathering psychological torture i mean though it lasted from 1953 until uh, 1973 Details of this illicit program didn't become public until 1975, and several of those procedures have been deemed illegal due to the fact that the program involved more than 150 human experiments involving psychedelic drugs, paralytics, and electroshock therapy. And some of the test subjects who were participating, some of them had, like, no idea that they were participating because of the hallucinogens. So this was like a real thing that happened, and it is part of the Outlast game history as um, this basically this subsect of MK Ultra stayed at Mount Massive to continue Project Wall Rider, uh, using the patients that had been used in MK Ultra as further test subjects. So now we just like completely understand why everyone was batshit crazy <laughs> in the game. Uh, because they've been experimented on more than just Wall Rider. Like, at first, you probably just think it's the Wall Rider experiments, but it's more than that, which is why they're all, you know, insane. And yeah, they're off the wall in that game. Oh, completely. yeah. Yeah. And there's even there's even the cannibal twins who you encounter. Yep. 
Um, yep. and they're I'm pretty sure they're seen eating a person. So, yeah, there's there's some cannibalism. Uh, but there's much more cannibalism in the whistleblower DLC. Now, the DLC centers around Waylon Park, who is a software engineer that actually sends the email to Miles Upshur, which is the catalyst, like I just said, of the plot of Outlast. So he wants to expose the corporation after witnessing several of the experiments uh, from the morphogenic engine. And while Waylon is trying to escape the facility uh, after being captured and experimented on himself, uh, he encounters Frank Manera. Now, Frank wields a bone saw and is one of the main antagonists of the DLC. His patient report uh, suggests that after his treatments, he developed cannibalistic tendencies, stating his desire to drink blood from the chest of sleeping men. Oh, boy. And his doctors also noted that forced nutrition would be recommended if they could not find Monera something that he actually likes to eat, which was a, yet another nod to the fact that he didn't like any regular food he only wanted like humans so during Waylon's encounters with Monera it's clear he is a cannibal due to the fact that he's literally tearing in and feasting on the bodies of many victims that he has captured and killed um off screen or on screen he does fry someone's head in a microwave yeah, <laughs> um, pretty gruesome. I do remember that part yeah so, from his character wiki, uh, thanks Wikipedia, uh, Manera mm -hmm. has a single goal in his life, which is to devour the flesh of humans. He sees humans as nothing more than beings of meat for him to eat. Oh boy. As he only calls Waylon meat. Um, <laughs> but he states that he loves a corpse before engulfing in it like a rabid animal. So he has, you know, a deep obsession as well as, you know, just sees people as food. Uh, so clearly his cannibalism is that of a psychotic serial killer, which, of course, in real life, we know some, a few of those uh, psychotic serial killers, such as Jeffrey Dahmer and Albert yep. Fish. Yep. So uh, yeah. I still shiver. I still shiver mm. over his name. He is just—it really is. It's a creepy and name. His picture and just and just how he. Oh God! Just the stories of how he carried himself. He is—he is my top of just. Oh, I just want to. I wish I could punch him. Yeah. Yeah. Just one of those. Yeah, and I—I I don't blame you. Nope. Um, of course, I—I kind of see more ties with like Monera to like Jeffrey Dahmer of course Jeffrey Dahmer I feel like was way more calculated yes um and and not like very emotional about anything whereas like Monera is just like off the wall yeah. um but of course if you guys don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is if you don't know anything about Jeffrey Dahmer um he had once told police that he had cut up the thighs, biceps, and internal organs of several of his victims, uh, he cooked them in a stovetop skillet before consuming them. He claimed they tasted like filet mignon, which is disturbing for me because I really love filet. And like, I don't eat beef, so I'm okay. Yeah, knowing that he thinks that that's what people tasted like is just, it gives my brain a little, like, meh. Um, yeah. But he's known as the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Milwaukee Monster. Mm -hmm. He was an American serial killer and sex offender who committed the rape and murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys from 1978 to 1991. Um, of course, his l 
it's his later murders that involved like necrophilia and cannibalism and he would also permanently preserve body parts typically skeleton but like he also kept other body parts too um and most of his victims were killed by strangulation after being drugged with sedatives although his first victim was killed by a combination of bludgeoning and strangulation and his second victim was battered to death so of these victims though Dahmer uh had bored like holes in their skulls and often injected hydrochloric acid or boiling water directly into their brain while they were still alive to see if he could attempt to induce a permanent and submissive unresistant state so he was trying to keep them alive but basically zombie them um of course he killed them every time um and upon his arrest they found four severed heads seven skulls two human hearts and a part of an arm in the fridge a human torso a bag of organs and human flesh in the freezer and like a lot of other crazy stuff in his house of horrors so this i feel is like the most um like connect like uh, relatable to Minera because both of them like dismembered people experimented on people of course Monera unlike Dahmer is crazy and unhinged whereas Dahmer is much more like calculated and like I don't know like sociopathic they, like he just has yeah. like no emotion not yeah, even like they, a manic emotion and they both kind of had like a methodology with how they did things like even even just your descriptions of his experimentation yeah um you know I, the the freaking uh what's his name Monero yeah um like you know I, I just remember him you know strapping characters down and um some of them were still alive so it kind of has that weird torture aspect um, yeah. to it too which we know Dahmer definitely oh um, yeah unfortunately enjoyed um with his ten with his uh, murderous tendencies so yeah exactly so yep. definitely you know two peas in a pod that one mm -hmm. so in addition outlast one also dabbled in um a bit you know establishing minor cult themes especially around the character of father martin mm -hmm. and uh, Father Martin was one of the major characters in Outlast. He was an ally to Miles. Uh, he was a self-proclaimed prophet and questionable priest. His religion worshipped the Wall Rider, and he was able to even control some of the inmates and convert them to his followers. So that was like some minor cult themes. Now that cult stuff gets a lot more stronger in Outlast 2, as Definitely. well as the cannibalism. There's still cannibalism. <laughs> um, so the sequel, which was released in 2017 follows a journalist named Blake Langerman, along with his wife, Lynn, who are roaming the Arizona desert to explore the murder of a pregnant woman only known as Jane Doe. Blake and Lynn get separated in a helicopter crash, and Blake has to find his wife while traveling through a village inhabited by a deranged sect that believes the end of days are upon them. Now, later it's revealed that the Murkoff Corporation, again, spoilers, is the cause for everyone's insanity due to the fact that they have an experimental mind control station hidden deep in the mountains where um, the group known as the heretics uh, are affected much more severely due to the waves being closer to where they're positioned in the area. Um, 
So now there are two cults in this game, and this is where I get like super like excited because um, I love cults. Um, I find them so fascinating. Um, there are two cults in this game, one being the heretics, as I said, and the other being the testament of the new Ezekiel, a.k.a. Noth's cult. So Noth's cult is a group that resides in the remote settlement known as Temple Gate. The cult's goal is to prevent the Antichrist from being born through systematic child murderings. <laughs> so they attempt to torture and murder Lynn, who is all of a sudden pregnant. Mind you, she was not pregnant at the beginning of this game, but apparently now she's pregnant. And um, they believe that she's carrying the unborn Antichrist. So they're trying to kill her and her child or her unborn child. Um now, there is a subset group called the Scald. Uh, they are former members of the Testament, and they are led by uh, Laird Byron. Who th Now, they're exiled due to being severely diseased and malformed. Um, they have, they're seen as having the sickness in the soul, when in reality, spoilers, they're just affected by syphilis and gonorrhea. Yep. Um, so... Really severe cases. Really severe cases. Um, and this group is uh, seen to involve... So this is, like, the only time where, like, cannibalism, like, is super obvious. Um, I think it's, like, implied in other parts of the game, but, like, this is, yeah. like, the only time that, like, cannibalism is, like, really, like, talked about. Yep. Um, and this is because Byron claims that Blake is the messiah, and that they must crucify him, bury him, and then consume his heavenly flesh, which will then heal them of all their deformities, and then they can return to Temple Gate. Now, that's how that works. Yeah, yep. duh. Totally. If you're diseased, you just eat a healthy person, right? That's, yep. how, that's how you get cured. Absorption. <laughs> healthy osmosis. Yeah. Totally fine. Totally fine. Um, so the heretics is the other cult, and they're led by Val. Um, they are the enemies of Noth, as they believe the Antichrist should be born, because, like, hail Satan. <laughs> um, they are far more insane, because, like I said, this is the group of people that's closer to the station that's emitting this, like, um, sound wave that's making everyone nuts. So they're far more insane to the point of animalistic, and they engage in many atrocities, such as mutilation, flaying, burning people alive... Uh, they also engage in heavy sexual activities, such as their ritual orgy that they have. Um, which in game in full view, and it's a wow. Yeah, it's a wow. Yeah. Um, but also that made me it made me question though, because like the scald are exiled from the testament cult, but the heretics are the ones that have the most orgies. So like, where did they get these STDs? I'm thinking they got them from the heretics, but must have must have they had to have commingled at some point now noth's cult is the most interesting one uh not just due to like the game stuff but actually due to their real world inspiration which i got very excited about this because uh february 5th co-founder philippe morin was interviewed by indie games level up about Outlast 2, in which he stated that it was largely based on the Jonestown Massacre of I 1978. Knew <laughs> I knew it! 
Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I shouldn't be this excited. Um, but so the People's Temple, which is the group's name, uh, was an agricultural project better known as Jonestown. It was a remote settlement established by the People's Temple under Jim Jones. So uh, Jim Jones put this whole thing together. He like was basically like a self-proclaimed church leader. He put together this congregation, and as the congregation grew, negative reports began to arise from former members claiming that they were forced to give up belongings, their homes, even their children. And with rising media attention and the beginnings of an investigation, Jones decided to invite his entire congregation to move to Guyana? Guyana? Mm -hmm. Totally, probably pronouncing all of this wrong. <laughs> um, where they would build... Guyana. Guyana? Okay. Yeah. Where they would build a socialist utopia. And in 1974, a small group went to establish an, ag an agricultural coup... Uh, and in 1977, Jones plus 1,000 temple members moved there. Yep. Now, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be because they're in the middle of the jungle. Um, the temple members worked long days in fields and were often subject to harsh punishments. Their passports and meds were taken. They were becoming ill with tropical diseases. Their letters and phone calls were all censored, and no one was permitted to leave. Jones himself was also on a steady decline, both mentally and also, like, physically, because he was severely addicted to drugs. And in 1978, a U.S. rep, along with a camera crew and some temple members' relatives, they decided to investigate Jonestown due to concerns about members being held against their will. Mm -hmm. Now, while they were there, they were welcomed with, like, a big celebration dinner. And all of the relatives that they talked to um, all said that they, like, loved it there. They didn't want to leave. However, they were approached by members in private, like other members, in private and were asked for assistance in escaping so when the group went to leave they were ambushed by jones's men at the airstrip and actually shot down now on the same day jones felt like he had failed in his endeavors to create a utopia he um was delusional and thought that the people that had just visited were going to go back to america and basically condemn them all to die and be attacked and um all of that so aides were instructed to mix large tubs of grape flavor aid with valium chloral hydrate phenergan and cyanide i think i said phenergan wrong but you know whatever mm -hmm. basically cyanide it was a lot of cyanide um and jones then called everyone to the pavilion where he made claims that they would be attacked with hostile force by like the government and that their children would all grow up to be fascists so he urged everyone to commit what he called revolutionary suicide which they also had like practiced a lot of these like weird drills of like oh, how they, they would all commit they suicide yeah, they, they were all Stockholm Syndrome yeah. uh, brainwashed and just completely yeah. petrified at this point. If, if you know, there, there were some people who, who were aware of this, but others were just completely enraptured uh, by all of this. Yeah, and, like, this also, it's not like he, like, went up to this group and was like, all right, everybody, we're going to do it. Like, they, they had, this wasn't, like, a new idea for them. Like, they right. had talked about this before. Um, 
So 909 individuals died that day, um, with the event being known as the Jonestown Massacre or the Mass Suicide. Um, there are so, so many details that if you have no idea what Jonestown is, you haven't heard of it, um, I implore you to go look it up because there's just, there's too much to get into for this and this was not the end of my rabbit hole. So, yeah. um, yeah, if you guys are interested in cults or anything, like, please go do more research about it because it's, it's crazy. It was the largest, um, like, self self-inflicted but not self-inflicted like the largest like mass death to occur to like u.s people yeah um, it's, it's prior hard to, to mass suicide yeah because it, it definitely was like coerced so but this was prior to 9-11 so this was like the craziest thing that happened prior to 9-11 i got two i got two quick anecdotes yeah if, go for if it don't mind uh so uh one of the people um one of the people which is one reason why it raised it was uh rose in such a um horrendous story was not only um how these people were treated in the end result um but actually um congressman leo ryan uh and his uh political aides were actually part of that group um, yes. that went to guiana yeah um and uh there uh there was a a uh, aide um with him um for those of you uh, who don't know, Congressman Leo Ryan was actually one of the ones that was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the people that was killed uh, on the tarmac uh, at where that elevator, or where the elevator, where the helicopter was. Yeah. Um, and actually, his aide at the time uh, is uh, Jackie Spear. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, she is a sitting U.S. Uh, rep for California's 4th Congressional District. She survived, and she survived nearly 22 hours bleeding out on that tarmac until someone came and got her yeah which is like insane and and i've met her and she (gasps) is the most incredible human being is she cool i have ever met yes because i i used to i used to work in politics and i got to meet a lot of uh boss ass women and and meeting jackie spear was was a hundred percent one of my highlights oh i Um, love that just because she she's she's a survivor and she's incredible and and if you again as you're reading through this story if you want something uplifting um after the fact you can definitely do that um and this is just an in general psa uh to stop saying the phrase don't drink the (laughs) kool-aid um because this is where this came from yeah uh and it's insanely disrespectful um so don't don't make jokes about drinking the kool-aid or someone drank the kool-aid or can't believe they're you know so thoughtless because they drank the kool-aid just don't do it just don't do it this is where this is where it originated from um yeah like the whole grape flavor aid is not like like they literally mix cyanide and kool-aid and gave it to um I believe it was like 300 and so, like a, a very large portion of the victims of Jonestown were children. Yes. Um, and the children were just given Kool-Aid by their parents. Yep. Um, infants were injected with needle- needleless syringes full of Kool-Aid, um, like just shot into their mouths. Um, and yeah, I, I won't go into the details of like, the deaths of these children but it's very tragic um yes. but it's amazing to hear that there was sur- like there were survivors out of this horrific and there event. were survivors of jonestown there, yeah. there were people that that 
were able to get away. There were people who were able to run. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they still didn't go through um, an extraordinarily great time, um, obviously, after the fact. Um, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a harrowing story and, and really um, one if you – there's plenty of documentaries and plenty of, um, of uh, really good articles and uh, exposés out there, too. Yeah, yeah. So definitely look more into it because I also, like, I skipped over a bunch of stuff just to kind of summarize – yeah. the whole thing there, it's very yeah it's there's a you lot can, there's yeah, a lot to there's unpack. a lot but that's that's really cool that you met her though yeah she's in she's in, incredible and also uh, another psa go fucking vote okay thanks bye. <laughs> <laughs> um so at the end of outlast 2 lynn gives birth um which also may have been a hallucination there's a little gray area there um and Noth and his followers commit mass suicide as they have believed that or they believe that they have failed their mission, which was to prevent Lynn giving birth. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a direct correlation to Jonestown, like right down to the cyanide, which um, is shown by uh, there are like various bottles of poison laying by all of the cult members bodies in uh, the game at the end. So literally direct like nod like this is not even inspiration at this point but like recreation um so aside from jonestown outlast 2 was also heavily influenced by the hills have eyes oh boy which is wes craven yes who it is. i love um but the hills have eyes you know family clans incest cannibalism why am i bringing this up um, not only did Hills Have Eyes influence Outlast, but it also influenced another video game series. So, funny enough, it influenced, and not only did it influence another video game series, but it influenced another video game series that has numerous accounts of cannibalism, which is the Fallout series. Oh, so, specifically Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, um, but generally, the Fallout series of video games uh, has recurring themes of cannibalism throughout. Um, most, commonly, or most commonly seen is um, with the Raiders, so if you don't know about the Fallout series, it is post-apocalyptic America, scavengers, uh, vault people, the whole nine yards, um, but these... Or these characters known as raiders are clans of savage killers living in the wasteland who habitually eat their victims' flesh. Um, and this flesh is, or human meat, is known as strange meat in the game. Mm -hmm. Now, Fallout 3 has a community, uh, the community of Andale, uh, and Fallout New Vegas has the White Glove Society. So cannibalism is deep, <laughs> And uh, cannibals actually, in fact, appear in every Fallout game in some form or another, uh, with the exception of Fallout Brotherhood of Steel. That is the only game that does not feature cannibalism. Oh, okay. And it also, or cannibalism also appears as a perk, which is like a skill that you can acquire. It does. <laughs> um, it appears as a perk in Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 4, and Fallout 76. So you too can be a cannibal. I about that. Yep, you oh. can choose to eat human meat willingly. Oh boy. Oh yeah. So 
Going back a little bit, The Hills Have Eyes is a 1977 horror film which follows the Carters, a suburban family targeted by a family of cannibal savages who, um, after the family is stranded in a Nevada desert. So this is, this, this, weirdly enough, this movie is influenced by Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which coincidentally is also an influence for the Outlast series. So it just and co- coincidentally, it is also an influence uh, for mine that's going to be coming up. <laughs> so yeah. we're just all kinds of connections. Yep, yep. Um, so the family is uh, the family of cannibals in the hills have eyes, is led by Papa Jun- uh, Jupiter. I almost said Juniper. I don't know why. Um, Papa Jupiter, who as a child murdered his own sister, along with the family's livestock. And was left to die in the hills. Of course, he survived and had four children with an alcoholic sex worker named Mama. And together, the family joined together and survived by eating travelers and stealing their supplies. Yep. Now, Fallout is, like I said, a series of post-apocalyptic role-playing video games, uh, which was first released in 1997. The original game features cannibalism involving Iguana Bob and his shop Bob's Iguana Bits. Doc Morbid, who is the doctor of Junktown, sells Bob what's known as Iguana Meat, which uh-huh. um, Bob then sells at his own stand. And that meat is actually human corpses that Doc procures in his underground butcher shop. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, so in Fallout New Vegas... Uh, they have another notable example of cannibalism, which is the White Glove Society. Um, they are an upper-class aristocratic group based out of the luxurious Ultralux Casino in Las Vegas and who are in reality actually descendants of a cannibal tribe that once inhabited the ruins of Vegas before it was restored by someone named Mr. House. Um, now, The White Glove Society, when you encounter them, are not cannibals. Uh, However, there are members who believe in the old ways, one of them being Mortimer, a high-ranking member who uh, views this society, the White Glove Society, as an elitist institution and denying themselves access to exotic meat takes away the main reason for the group's existence. And you find out that he hopes to return the group to their old ways by feeding them human flesh at their upcoming banquet banquet, without their knowledge. So his mission is basically to, like, feed them human meat and then be like, see, you guys enjoyed it. Like, we should be cannibals. Oh, my Lord. That's a really weird way to consistently get your dues. Like, that's just, yeah. no, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, so then Fallout 3, which was released in October 28th, 2008, uh, it picks up nearly 30 years after the setting of Fallout 2 and 200 years after the nuclear war that devastated the whole game's world. Uh, the player character is a vault dweller uh, in Vault 101 who is forced to flee when the overseer tries to arrest them in response to their father leaving the vault. Now, once free, the player is dubbed as the Lone Wanderer and ventures into the Wasteland, and eventually will happen upon Andale, which is a location in the southern area of the capital Wasteland. This place is where four families have survived the nuclear war, 
and have remained in Andel, relying on cannibalism after their food supplies ran out. So they partake in what's called um, exo-cannibalism, which is actually the consumption of a person outside of their established community. So they don't eat anyone in their community. They rely on like travelers and other people passing through to be their source of food. Um, their process of eating outsiders, as well as inbreeding amongst the four families, is a tradition passed down through their generations. And what's also funny about this <laughs> is that um, because you yourself can be a cannibal in the game, like you can consume strange meat, if you were to do this around any of these four families, um, they'll become hostile <laughs> towards you. Despite them being cannibals themselves. Like, they that will little... hate you for being a cannibal. That seems a little judgy. I don't right? know what that game mechanic is. Come on. Also, if you harm any of the family members before your character has found out that they're cannibals, you will receive negative karma. What? Which I think is just hilarious. Like, you can't kill them until you know that they're bad people. That's ridiculous. <laughs> now, me, sorry. practicing both cannibalism and inbreeding is extremely similar to my main thing that I wanted to get to. Holy bananas, there's more? I'm so which is goodness. Sonny Bean. <gasps> I found a way to bring this all to Sonny Bean. <laughs> Oh Not sure how I ended up here, but really happy I did. <laughs> so, Sonny Bean, you guys. Alexander Sonny Bean was said to have been the head of a 45-member clan in Scotland in the 16th century, which they were reportedly executed for the mass murder and cannibalization of over a thousand people. Now, again, this is legend, so, like, yep. there's no discernible proof that Sonny Bean and his family existed. But Alexander was born in East Lothian during the 15th-slash-16th century. Uh, Bean attempted to follow in his father's footsteps and become a ditch digger and hedge trimmer, but quickly grew distasteful for hard labor. So he left home with a vicious woman named Agnes Douglas, who was later accused of being a witch, and they ended up in the coastal cave, Benane Cave, where they, and I'm probably pronouncing a lot of stuff wrong, so forgive me, um, but they resided here undiscovered for 25 years. Now the cave was 200 yards deep and blocked by water during high tide, which, you know, gave them cover and uh, Bean's plans of supporting his family was to continue robbing people. However, it soon dawned on him that to avoid being identified, he should kill his victims because then they can't tattle. Um, with the burden of the evidence of the dead bodies, though, he decided that they should also eat these people because then he would also be providing a high-protein diet to his family as well as free stuff. Wow, that's quite the jump. Yep. You know, just leaps. <laughs> Giant leaps. <laughs> now, Sonny and Agnes soon produced eight sons, six daughters, and eventually had 18 grandsons and 14 granddaughters, all uh, products of incest. Oh, boy. Now, the bodies I'm gonna, of... <laughs> I'm going to stop saying, oh, boy. Oh I don't boy. know when 
but I've said it like I've said it like 18 times so far this entire thing. I don't know if it's just the the yeah, I, it, it might just be the topic for today, but who blame for the last time? Oh boy. Yeah, I mean that one's that one's an oof too. Ooh, also yeah. just that many children. Just that many. No wonder they had to eat a thousand people. I mean, again, this is also legend, which I'm not surprised because like it's it's very like as much as I kind of want to believe that this it's was a thing. A too it's a little too it's a little too far fetched that in the 15th century you were able to naturally give birth to this many people and not die. Yeah, that's that's a fair conjecture, actually. You know, just with all the people that died in childbirth back then, kind of don't understand how this many children were produced yeah. without at least someone being dead. Yeah. Um. So now the bodies of their victims would be brought back into the cave and dismembered. They were then eaten and their leftovers were pickled in barrels and or tossed into the ocean. Oh, uh, you should see my face right now. <laughs> local villagers were aware of the disappearances. However, due to the bean clan staying hidden during the day and attacking at night, nobody was aware that they were the cause, much less that they were there at all. Several innocent people were executed as a result of the ongoing investigations. So one night, the clan attacked a couple and managed to actually kill the wife, but were unable to take down the husband, who then got away and told authorities. Afterwards, thanks to bloodhounds and a 400-men manhunt, the family was then found in the caves alongside their disturbing surroundings, which were piles of human remains, barrels of limbs, and piles of stolen belongings. Now, there are two endings to this tale, one being that the family was taken and executed, the other being that gunpowder was lit at the entrance of the cave and they were then suffocated. Whoa. Um, so, Sonny Bean is still often considered more of a mythical figure mm -hmm. because there seems to be lack of historical documents to prove the existence of him and his family. And there are also several inconsistencies to the story. Uh, now, but the legend also closely resembles the story of Christy Cleek, who um, it, now while, while Sonny Bean far exceeds uh, Christy in terms of notoriety, um, Christy's legend does appear to be older and possibly more legitimate. Um, so... Tales of the Bean family don't appear until the 18th century, uh, and but Christie's exploits are actually well documented from the 15th century onwards. And Christie Cleek is a legendary Scottish cannibal as well. And according to that folklore, Andrew Christie was a butcher who in the mid-14th century joined a group of scavengers in the foothills during a severe famine. And when one of the members died of starvation, he took the lead and made a meal of their corpse. Ooh, and boy. after the group ate this fellow member, they developed the taste for human flesh and continued to go on ambushing passing travelers and eating them and so on and so forth. Um, so there's, you know, there's lack of incest in this one, but it's very similar to the Sonny Bean tale of attacking people and eating them. Mm -hmm. um, but to bring it all back around, um, not only was, uh, you know, Fallout inspired 
by Sonny Bean. But The Hills Have Eyes was also inspired by Sonny Bean. Most definitely. <laughs> so it's kind of like, so basically, it just everything connects. The Hills Have Everything's Eyes. super intertwined. and Inspired and Outlast. It inspired Fallout. Fallout took inspiration from Sonny Bean. Sonny Bean inspired The Hills Have Eyes, like, which also probably somehow inspired quarantine and wreck i mean like it all just it all connects in terms of these crazy unhinged serial killing cannibals and then they made some video games about it yeah no kidding and they were pretty good inspiration i don't know why incest has to always be some type of weird underlying tone with this too it's like it's like you you've already like you already have one thing that's pretty high on the the human sins list. I think it's just to keep it in the family. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I mean, like, when you think about it, if you're eating all other people, how are you dating? You know? Like, no one's... It would be hard to involve other people. No stranger... No stranger is going to love you (laughs) if you're a cannibal, but your cannibalistic brother might. You know? know, (laughs) Maybe... My head is shaking so much right now. Yeah, but it's, it's so it's it's true. But that that that's like that's the weird part of it. It's just like yeah, of course. That's why they don't open it up to other people. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, in a weird, sick, twisted, gross way. Yeah, if we get anything uh, hilarious out of all of these tales, I think it's that you can be a cannibal in Fallout. That is pretty great, and I completely forgot about that until you said it, and I love that you brought that up. The fact that it's a perk. It's so great. Tickles me. Also, so the great. fact that, like, so if you look deeper into becoming a cannibal in Fallout, um, mm-hmm. you actually, you gain an exorbitant amount of health uh, eating people meat, but um, you lose a lot of karma. Uh, and that also affects your interpersonal relationships in the game. So um, not only will the family and Andel hate you, but so will everybody else in the game. Like, everyone becomes slightly more hostile. Um, they don't really converse with you because you're seen as a cannibal. And so, like, people don't want to be your friend. Um, they At don't want to help you. At least the are aligned even two to three hundred years in the future. Yeah. I, I have hope. Yeah. I have hope. Yeah. They definitely, definitely don't like people eating people, even in post-apocalyptic nuclear wastelands. That's good. And there Don't were some hard it. damn decisions made during that time. So good for them for sticking to their guns. Yeah. So so actually, that ended up not being as long as I thought it was, which makes me feel <laughs> a lot better. Um, but just, like, a lot. Like, government stuff, cannibals, cult stuff. Cult stuff. I mean, there's I'm just a so lot to unpack. Oh, I, I, that's, I know. I, I, could, I could have an entire miniseries just talking about that shit. Yeah. Um, I could just have an entire miniseries talking about cults. I mean, <laughs> you can talk about cults. Oh, what's my big fascination? I also like, I also like, I love armed heists too. Ooh. Like just any, anything mm-hmm. about just like in, in mysterious deaths and like armed heists and like the really super gross, like that's, that that's where my interest is. Hence why I brought up that we should talk about cannibalism. Mm, so, yes, you know, yes. Well, it's also, I mean, back pocket forever. what goes well with Thanksgiving except eating people maybe maybe i don't know 
Mass transit. Don't knock it until you try it. Just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't try Don't it. Don't try do it. it. Don't try it Don't at try home, it. kids. Don't do it. No. No. Stick to the turkey. Stick to the ham. There you go. Or stick to stuffing because you don't like either. Salad. <laughs> I'm I'm there for the mashed potatoes, and that's about it. Ooh, mashed potatoes, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm making rutabaga hash browns this year. I'm very excited. Wee! So, they were apparently a favorite from last year, so I'll make sure I make them with extra bacon this time. Nice. Love yes. that. Love oh bacon. Mm. Well, yeah, so that was my talk about um outlast and uh funny enough also fallout um yes. somehow got there very happy honestly, about it honestly it works it works yep oh my goodness should i go next yeah well either you or the <laughs> mouse in your pocket i was about to say i mean there's there's really no choice <laughs> oh my goodness but to keep up legendary game franchises um, that that have have had uh, quite the inception, quite the success, and and quite the unsettling themes uh, within them. Uh, my cannibalistic centric um, video game franchise, and specifically the game, uh, is Resident Evil Seven Biohazard. Yee! Yes, very very exciting. Um, I am definitely a fan of Capcom's um, entire franchise uh, with Resident Evil. Um, in total. Um, there are, uh, oh my gosh, there are 23 titles in the series. There are 23 titles in the series. However, there are eight main franchise releases, including Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, Code Veronica, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, Resident Evil 0, Resident Evil 4, Resident Evil 5, Resident Evil 6, and then the latest Inception that came out in 2017 um, is Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Um, so I am going to delve a little bit into um, the series itself because what it's it's not only a really cool story of how a, a typical zombie um, zombie centered um, franchise has taken everything to entirely different levels. It was the the franchise that made the genre. Um, and and has been a blueprint of success and also a blueprint of trying out new game mechanics and trying out new platforms and, and really trying to adapt it into uh, media that evolves along with um, human interest, um, both in Zombies and also Resident Evil. Um, uh, according, or, uh, according to Capcom, uh, Resident Evil, uh, and this is, this is, these are their words, uh, which effectively created the survival horror genre of games has also established itself as a prominent world recognized franchise with cumulative sales approaching 93 million copies sold worldwide. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So they, they, they have no problem touting it out that they are extremely successful. They know uh, their audience and they know what they want. Anytime you play these games, um, each game uses horror elements, puzzle solving, and tons of action. Uh, most of the games in the main Resident Evil series have been released uh, to uh, to glowing uh, and positive reviews. Uh, some of them, which we'll get into, have not been that positive, but Ooh. it's a learning experience and it's okay. So, uh, some of the game's most notable uh, notable releases, Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, and Resident Evil 4, have even been bestowed with multiple Game of the Year honors and have been placed on lists of the best video games ever made. Um, Complex, in 2012, actually ranked Resident Evil as number 22 on the list of best video game franchises ever. Wow. Yes. 
So um, over the years, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's crazy. It is crazy. But also, like, you can see why I have a, I have such a soft spot uh, for this game. Um, <laughs> but also, um, they're just, they're, they're so much fun. They're, they're just, they're the perfect quintessential, creepy, unsettling, scary experience. But you feel so accomplished after you beat them. And you just you just kick so much ass, and you get to play really cool characters, and the lore in it is just never freaking ending, and it's so great. Um, unless the character dies, then then they're done, but you know, it's fine. Um, the first four uh, main games: Resident Evil One, Two, Code Veronica, and Three. Uh, Resident Evil Three Nemesis um, all had the same uh, type of platform style, where they were a fixed camera survival horror survival horror story. Um, which uh, was a was solidified as a well um, as a successful and well formulated um, game uh, that they had no problem um, recreating time and time again and expanding on the story that everybody fell in love with. Um, there's really great cutscenes, legendary cutscenes, um, and uh, the, you get you have uh, different um, types of mechanisms in there, including item collecting, crafting, uh, even head scratching puzzles. Um, these games um, are also staples in the speedrunning communities. Um, for anybody who watches Games Done Quick, um, or if you watch uh, any of your favorite um, Twitch streamers who have played time and time again trying to get their personal best on uh, beating these games, there are tons of challenges out there, including no death runs, no saves, knife only, and there's even been randomizers that have been created in order to swap items and swap rooms um, of all of them, uh, including where baddies could spawn. So you could Whoa. be in one room, and then all of a sudden, uh, the bad guy that's like the main boss could be in the second room that you enter in. Like, it's bananas. It's so much fun. Um, but they have absolutely, these four games have absolutely defined a generation and created gameplay standards for the genre and for video games, period. Um, as technology advanced, uh, so did what they uh, so did what they wanted to create on new gaming systems for all the Resident Evil games. Uh, Capcom decided to take uh, what they knew worked, um, what they experimented on in different franchises, um, and make it a little bit more modern, um, and also update their entire game design engine. Um, and that's where we get the perfect perfect game, Resident Evil Four. Uh, Resident Evil 4 was a franchise success. Um, it was released um, on uh, quite a number of different consoles. I personally played it on GameCube. Um, and it was when they transitioned it into uh, something, obviously, um, a little bit more, um, uh, little bit more uh, graphically uh, <laughs> upgraded. Um, I don't want to poo-poo on old, you know, 90s and uh, early 2000s graphics, but yikes. Um, but yikes. But, also, but yikes. <laughs> Um, and so it also transitioned into, instead of having the fixed cameras room per room, it actually became a third-person, um, over-the-shoulder first-person shooter game. Or, I'm sorry, uh, person shooter game. So, uh, not first-person, obviously, because I just said third-person. But you, you get what I'm saying. Um, so they did not completely jettison from their original consistently successful model. It still has plenty of puzzles, plenty of really great cutscenes. Um, you uh, are still rewarded uh, for explorations and ma making sure that you are collecting all the items that are necessary and have a few really good jump scares that got me real, real good back in the day. Um, as the franchise continued uh, and as the lore was built up with Umbrella, as being the big bad mini corp um, that caused uh, the T virus and caused a whole bunch of different things um, 
there's a variation of different viruses and, and infections uh, that they create in order to create the zombies. Um, that sort of actually takes a little bit more of a turn. Um, and as uh, there are, um, as there are uh, more characters introduced and as there's more different types of baddies introduced, um, you're actually getting zombies and monsters uh, that aren't the same as they used to be. Um, and the reason for that is because they start having different types of infections. And I swear to God, this all has a very good point. I'm just giving you as much background as I can. And also to celebrate a really well-formulated franchise that is an absolute fan favorite. So while there have always been creatures in the series, giant snakes, mutant plants, chimeras, I hate them, giant spiders, and those stupid hunter one-shot jackasses that completely murder you when you turn the corner at the wrong time. I hate them. Um, the focus has been primarily uh, on having the zombies, the infected human. Uh, in Resident Evil 4, we start to see that these infected humans start to retain quite a bit of their humanity. Um, and even though they're still psycho killers and still kind of go off, um, off the deep end, uh, we find out that they're actually being infected by a parasite. So instead of it necessarily being uh, something that's bloodborne or something that's a disease, um, it is actually a, a uh, infectious um, entity that is um, controlling the people now. And then, so kind of and, and, sorry. Go ahead. So kind of similar to The Last of Us. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, and kind of uh, also kind of Left for Dead too. Um, yes. With uh, with um, some of their their uh, completely transformed uh, bad guys. But yes, yes, actually, uh, that's a that's a um, really good tie-in too. Um, so this is the Plaga parasite. Um, and in four, uh, you enter in an entire village uh, where seemingly normal people turn into angry, violent, and distorted killers um, off of our main prota protagonist, the forever crowd favorite, Leon. Mm -hmm. uh, Leon uh, was introduced uh, in Resident Evil 2, and and believe me, that booty is well-deserved. Chef's amazing. kiss. So, ugh, the best. I don't so. think I actually played as Leon in Resident Evil 2. Oh, yeah? I missed I the booty. That's okay. Missed out That's on right. the booty. I think I just wanted to be a badass lady. Hell yeah. And then, Hell yeah. And then Mr. X showed up, and then I stopped playing. And then you just cried for days. Yeah. Did you see that they, that you, they can make uh, Mr. X into Pennywise now? Really? Yeah. I've just seen the mods for um, anytime Mr. he Goose. shows up. <laughs> no, but anytime he shows up, it plays X Gun and Give It To You. Yeah. <laughs> that one, and then the Thomas, the train. Yeah, the Thomas the Tank Engine? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, one, I showed, that one's I showed my, my favorite. brother that, and he was very upset with me because he's like, why would they do that to Thomas the Tank Engine? I, I think like, I cried laughing I when I saw you. the Thomas the Tank <laughs> Engine video. I'm pretty sure I busted out laughing so hard that I cried. <laughs> it was just too good. Like, I was not expecting it, and it was just, oh. it was brilliant. It was everything. It's it's so much fun when the community mods like that because those are just absolutely delightful. And they and they welcome it. It's definitely, you know, it doesn't take away from from the essence of the oh, game no. by obviously having fun with it. So, um, but uh the way the the infection uh grows and the way the lore transforms is important uh because as the franchise continues, the infection of bystanders uh transforming into hordes of vicious killers becomes a staple in the backstory of Resident Evil 7 and the games moving forward. Um, that instead of mindless flesh-eating zombie, there is something more dangerous lurking in their bodies, um, and they can actually be uh, far more dangerous and also far more competent uh, than they have been than just the hulking, 
you know, foot sliding, uh, groaning zombie. Um, so the next jettison uh, that they have is in Resident Evil 5. Uh, Capcom takes uh, it, this to a cooperative level, which is completely new um, to the entire franchise. You've always kind of had an AI that can be with you, um, or such as Barry in Resident Evil 1, or you can have the president's daughter um, in uh, Resident Evil 4. So um, you uh, are, are going through um, a town in Africa, um, and as part of the uh, as the fictional Bioter Bioterrorism Security Assessment Alliance, uh, which is important for Resident Evil 7, which is why I'm telling you this, uh, Chris Redfield, um, who was a character from Resident Evil 1, fights off parasite-infested villagers over land and sea in this exciting first-person shooter and quick-time cooperative game. Uh, the game style was received favorably by majority of game critics and players alike, as well as closed uh, the loop on the number of lingering storylines um, in the series, i.e. Wesker. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but just know he's kind of a lovable heel, but at the same time, you just want to punch his face in all the damn time. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm a wrestling fan. I just, I love a good heel, especially when they're well-crafted. So Fair. I would also like to pause here to acknowledge that Resident Evil 6 does exist. However, it completely misses the mark as a continuation of the series and oh, is, in no. my general opinion, fucking terrible. Oh, no! Yeah, it is a glorified arcade game with choppy action sequences and is far too heavy on the quick-time events in themselves. Uh, with its general abysmal reception, it's actually one of the lower-rated uh, overall main releases of the Resident Evil series. Uh, this got Capcom thinking again about the general direction of the franchise and how they continue to make these games successful, but also satisfying for gamers around the world. So they, they they took it, they took it, and they they took a knee, and they said we we did a bad, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna try to do better. Um, so I that's mean, I wonder if I wonder if Red Barrel is because like Outlast three, well we think it's Outlast three. It's not confirmed necessarily that it's like Outlast three. Yeah. But that whole teaser for the next Outlast game was shown, and like it's like now like everyone's talking about whether it's gonna be like Outlast like or like outlast or like outlast 2 because outlast 2 was not well received it it was it was it was just too gory for gory's sake and right I, and I like it was a bunch I didn't of appreciate it yeah and that's what i've heard from everyone is that a bunch of people just have like issues with the fact that i mean i didn't even touch upon the whole like like um consistent baby murdering thing well i mean gross. Yeah, um yeah. that but like, i mean like the people that were part of the cult that had to murder their own children and some of them yep. liked it and some of them didn't and then yep. also i didn't even talk about like how blake has like flashbacks to yeah. the i i completely skipped over that just because you know it wasn't relevant for what i was trying to to get at but also i mean like it's it's like a whole extra like unnecessary yep. storyline of like Blake and his like childhood classmate who was like being sexually assaulted and molested and like she was murdered and yep. or like killed like, it was just I don't know it was like a whole thing and like all of these things were just like thrown into this game for like shock value Yes. It was almost and like they tried to take every possible horrible thing that they could think of and just throw it into a game and not everything connected with one another. No. And that's and that's definitely was was my main reception because I, I played the game. I played both Outlast games. I haven't played them um, on stream 
but I, I've played both of them. I love Outlast One. I think it's I think it's a well crafted, um, terrifying game. I thought Whistleblower DLC was freaking fabulous, but Outlast Two was just so disconnected and disjointed and like and the only way I was gonna know what actually happened was by finding like two specific notes throughout the entire game that explain it. It was just like, uh, like, uh, come on, like, did, did I really have to sit there and, and yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't enjoy um, the gameplay nearly as much. And I like getting scared. I, li- I like playing games that yeah. get my heart rate up and, and can be a good time. And I, I really enjoyed that series, but it, it was just too gross for gross's sake. And I didn't like it. Yeah. And that's what people told me because I streamed both Outlast and the DLC. And I was told explicitly by multiple people not to play the second one yeah. because it was just, it wasn't fun to just constantly be like thrown random or seemingly random gory events for the sake of being gory and out like out there like the two scenes that, that stick out to me is the torture rack scene um with the random woman that you don't know and then she gets killed um and then while the hiding mechanic was really cool like that whole scene was just super unsettling and then the crucifix scene i'm just like what the like good lord like it was just it was it was just too unbelievable in terms of uh, how much damage was under your body and it was i don't know it just it was too much yeah well there's also there's like child molestation there's child murdering there's cannibalism there's cults there's you know dismembering gore upon gore there's orgies there's like disformed people like it's just like it's like yeah tons of disease like just there's like almost too much that it's like what what was the what was the point behind this decision making (laughs) other than let's gross people out so like yeah the whole like i like how we both pick something that has at least one game that was not a fan favorite no resident evil 6 is definitely very much recognized as not as not part like uh, the people like friends that i have use it as like like a rib against each other of being like hey if we get to this donation goal you have to play resident evil 6 like it's it's yeah like you know it's not but it's not like a oh great i'm gonna get scared it's just like oh fuck i have to go through that game so yeah um but anywho Oh my gosh. Uh, this, welcome to the segment where uh, Zoe and Abby uh, rant about uh, terrible video games with tangents. no cohesion. So, tangents, what's up? All right, tangent corner. Hello. All right. Uh, yes, so that's a good lead up into Resident Evil 7, which is, in fact, a very well crafted uh, horror game, in my personal opinion. So, hearkening uh, back to the original and more successful models, RE7 plays very similar to Resident Evil 4, with baddies resembling that of uh, both 4 and 5 with an exciting new twist. Uh, with its release in 2007, or, uh, two, oh my gosh, 2017. Uh, the game was engineered to be a first-person experience. With cinematic cutscenes that make your stomach churn to absolutely terrifying gameplay uh, fighting for survival, this perspective uh, change remains the most significant shift in the entire franchise. Uh, The most obvious reason uh, for this was to be able to create a VR experience, uh, which would be the first of its kind for the franchise and actually won a number of accolades. Um, It's also terrifying. It's also terrifying. Yes, it's. I did. I can't play VR because my eyes. But um, I. I. Yes, Three hundred percent terrifying. Have tried it in <laughs> VR. Regret <laughs> it very much. Ah, uh, need picks. Need picks or it didn't happen. <laughs> um. 
Development began around February 2014 uh, for this game. Uh, the game was built on a custom game engine named Resident Evil Engine, or just RE Engine, uh, which includes virtual reality development tools. The decision to make the game first person was made well before the VR was considered. Um, and uh, the, the VR development itself happened in October 2015, uh, for which a separate team was created. So that way they didn't impede any of the actual development um, of the game and were able to release it on time, uh, which they were expecting. So after three years um, and the introduction of the VR game, uh, the demand uh, to have the level of detail that they needed um, for the entire uh for, for the entire game uh, was a lot higher than in previous games, and boy, did they deliver. Um, the game itself plays more intimately than a run-and-gun survival. Um, you're isolated only to a farm in Louisiana. A decision to also help refine the gameplay uh, was to limit the actual expanse of the game. So typically in the other games, um, uh, you're going through labs. Um, in Resident Evil 2, you're going to the police station, an orphanage. Um, you're going to an underground lab. You're... Um, freaking on mechanical lifts you're in trains like there, there's a whole bunch of places that you're going into and i'm really happy they refined that um for for resident evil 2 the remake when it was released this year um but at the time it was definitely a a good thoughtful uh position to only have it isolated to this to this area um your sole objective to start um the game is to rescue your wife mia uh, you are teased about the property um, and the backstory um, of kind of Resident Evil Seven was actually um, pre presented in a in a uh, in a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm completely blanking. A teaser uh, demo uh, called Kitchen, um, and Kitchen has a seven um, uh, in it in order to hearken that it was a Resident Evil Seven. Uh, it's a Blair Witch esque demo um, where you are uh, going through a house. You're trying. You're also a journalist. You're trying to figure stuff out. Um, you're finding old tapes um, of this information, um, and then at the end, uh, unfortunately, nobody nobody lives. Um, but it gives you an introduction to the property, um, something that the main character Ethan has no information of. Um, but you you get a nice gentle teaser of just oh something is just not right uh, when it comes to this, and we're gonna see what happens. Uh, pop culture references uh, felt throughout this entire game. Uh, included obviously Blair Witch uh, because um, that that is that was the inspiration for the teaser game itself, um, and then uh, Seven, uh, the movie the movie Seven uh, based or the nineteen nineties movie um, with uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, just the absolute grime and filth that is within this entire film uh, was actually uh, an inspiration uh, for this. It is th this entire house is just lined everywhere with just grime and it's it gives you just the most disgusting feeling the whole time and it's fabulous um deliverance uh for those of you who don't know this is a novel and a movie um about the whole isolation from all that is known and comfortable um <laughs> instead of a canoe um instead of a canoe trip into inbred america uh you have uh, no partner in this game no intel to help you from an ai like in resident four no guiding anything through this entire endeavor um, and your sole potential help is murdered before your eyes in an instant shortly before the start of the game uh, sh shortly after the start of the game sorry um, it is uncomfortable you feel lost you feel forgotten um, and and you can just sort of feel that you're in a space that you don't belong 
Um, and so uh, for those of you who don't know um, the story of Deliverance, um, it is about a canoe trip that goes all the way wrong um, into, uh, into rural Georgia. Um, and it is, it is unsettling. There's inbred families that they come across. Um, there's violence. They're getting hunted by people. Um, it's Dustin Hoffman. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a really uncomfortable movie, but it's, um, it's a, it's a read. I don't, I don't know whether I like it or dislike it, but, uh, keep that in mind for later. Just saying. Um, and then also one of the really big influences in this, in terms of especially being one of my favorite puzzles, is from Saw. Um, Lucas is one of the main villains in the family um, that uh, is uh, one of the most sick and sadistic characters uh, in recent memory that I remember playing a video game. Uh, his devious birthday cake surprise segment is a trap environment and torture chamber. Um, and you see uh, different people experiencing... Um, <laughs> This, uh, I don't know what I would call it, voyeuristic mayhem. Um, and it's it's a really cool puzzle, but it is very stressful and very uncomfortable. Um, but it, it, you can definitely feel uh, the sadistic torture um, motifs that are coming out of, uh, out of Saw um, also in this game. Um, so, yeah. So there's that. Um, but the, the, so the series itself, um, centers around Ethan. He's a main character going to rescue his wife. You encounter, uh, Mia's entire extended family, um, you come to learn is, uh, severely infected. Um, and there is just something not right with them. Um, so I don't want to spoil too much of the fun, but essentially, um, as you're doing this, uh, you start to be infected, um, and, and you actually, <laughs> you actually, um, uh, kill the person that you're trying to rescue uh, as your first boss, um, which completely throws you through a loop, and you have no idea what you're supposed to be doing next. Um, and and really, uh, the other unsettling part of this is Ethan is a character not centered in Resident Evil lore. Ethan is a Joe Schmo. Ethan has never been linked mm -hmm. to Umbrella Corporation. He has no knowledge uh, of Raccoon City. He has nothing in the terms of context of Resident Evil. So you might be thinking to yourself um, that this isn't a Resident Evil game, uh, but it in fact is, uh, but it starts playing like one. Um, and because you're with a character that isn't gun savvy or a cop or a member of stars or you know somebody trained in survival, you're just as lost and you're just as incomprehensibly alone as the character. And that really adds the entire uh, effect to this, um, to, to this new uh, motif, this new story that's coming out there. Uh, but you do, <laughs> you do um, start to learn uh, that the people that you're around are 100% uh, infected with something. Um, and I'll go into that in a little bit because it also feeds into the cannibalism um, in in the game. Yes. So obviously, zombies in themselves have a very cannibalistic theme. Um, you know, it's a mindless, thoughtless monster that goes around and eats the flesh off of humans. Um, in this one, uh, there's a cutscene where you're actually tied to a dining room chair, uh, and you are presented to a table of rancid, rotting human remains 
and the family is just chowing down like it's huh, Thanksgiving dinner. This is actually like the first thing I thought of when yes. when we discussed picking cannibalism. I just that that image of the family dinner where they're all yep. just like eating. and they're all around you just chatting away just, like it's no big deal yep. and forcing you to eat rancid, gross, disgusting human remains. Yeah. It makes you very uneasy, especially in VR. This is not the best experience, um, but it is one of uh, the horror motifs um, in the game. Um, and now, instead of claiming that all back-ass back words, swamp people are cannibals or inbred, the RE7 reasoning for the cannibalistic tendencies of the Baker family is theorized in the game and actually uh, harkens back to being infected. Uh, it harkens back to the Resident Evil uh, lore itself, being with Umbrella Corporation um, and all of those other corporate entities that are trying to play uh, with with uh, human life uh, and also life itself. Um, so each of the Baker family characters um, has a different, uh, has a really cool um facet to each of their powers but also um they transform kind of into different uh into different entities and have different characteristics uh based off of um different uh creatures that are actually found in the swamp uh there's like there's a spider motif there's a little bit of a lightning bug motif uh there's definitely like a swamp thing uh gross grimy thing motif um and it's it's really cool but um the instead of the infection being a parasite um it is actually a mold um and there is actually uh one of the sludge swamp mold um there there are i'm sorry there there are these baddies that look like giant sludge um and they're actually um they're actually like aggregated swamp mass um that have part of this mold infused with them uh and because uh they've been so genetically engineered they actually mimic human um ability and become bipedal and actually come after you um and also unfortunately come after you on the on <laughs> on uh, the commands of some of the characters which is even more terrifying um so uh in actually this is actually from the game uh from the infection report that you do find uh the mold ingests nutrients from the subject's bodies to propagate itself and slowly takes over cells within the body as a side effect of this the infected subject gains remarkable regenerative abilities which is why you're able to see some of the bad guys over and over again after you've killed them um during experiments we removed arms and legs from test subjects and found that they were able to uh co-opt the amputated limbs in a matter of minutes so that's one stage of the infection um, that you see. Uh, another one is once the mold reaches the brain, the subject's thoughts become in tune with those of the E-series. The E-series is the mold um, asset. It, uh, in, if this state continues, the host will lose sense of ego. Um, so with this report, you also start to learn that the Baker family, and probably, unfortunately, your wife, um, have, have now gone to the part of probably not being themselves anymore. Um, so... So while um, the cannibalism in, in the game is definitely um, uh, uneasy and gross and, and nasty, you're also starting to understand that it's actually the mold that is making them eat people because the mold is never going to differentiate between an alligator and a human arm because nutrients is nutrients and they're just going to go ahead and eat it. Mold. Uh, right? So the mold is the bad guy in this. The mold, the mold is definitely um, the bad one, and so is uh, Evelyn, the 
I don't want to spoil that too much. But after every cell in the body has taken is has been taken over by the mold, the subject begins to lose their human form. Uh, physical mutations differ from case to case, but all results in him or her acquiring incredible physical strength. Uh, containing a subject at this stage would be extremely difficult. Um, so one of the the main bosses, actually the dad. Um, actually turns into this giant hulking monster uh, that you fight in the bar, and it's actually the biggest pain in the butt uh, uh, fight in the entire game. Um, but you you see this complete infection, and therefore you know that there is no way that you can save someone once they get to this point. There might be some time to save them at the mid-infection point, but once they're completely infected, they're gone. So, hence... Um, why would yeah and then oh i actually i actually skipped ahead even in my own uh, freaking notes so why would mold care about eating flesh they don't hence why cannibalism um is a benign and almost underexplained theme in the game uh while it adds to the motif of horror and uneasiness like being strapped to a chair at a kitchen table full of rotting human remains and having it shoved in your face it brings up one of the larger taboos of humanity that is represented in popular culture uh yeah so that's Resident Evil Seven. You should play it. It's freaking great. Um, <laughs> so great. Eat people. Eat people. Um, or you know, kill the things that potentially eat people and save people. Also true. So, yes. Um, so there are a lot of people that I could reference, but the fact that the um, game developers and game critics even said that it harkened back to Deliverance. Um, both as as an experience and a, as a level of uncomfortable um, storytelling and narratives and and the motifs with the swamp people and you know being in a bayou in the middle of uh, Louisiana, it was just one of those really cool um, rabbit holes that actually happened. Uh, I actually found a case associated to Deliverance. Um, Yes, so it is. It is a, a story about cannibalism, uh, and it is uh, fairly graphic. I do actually have to go into a little bit um, about uh, the case, so some of the later stuff can go on. So it does have some pretty violent themes. Uh, please keep that in mind. Um, and uh, most of my uh, sources came from the Poughkeepsie uh, Journal, the New, New York Times, uh, Newspapers.com, which actually had a uh, an interesting older uh, clip from it. Uh, Murderpedia and the New York Post. Huh. So, oh boy, gotta um, love Murderpedia. I, gotta love Murderpedia. It has a good, it has a good um, centralization of sources, which is kind of nice. So, um, as you can imagine, uh, the aspect of uh, a human eating another human uh, has has been sensationalized uh, in fiction and true crime news stories alike. Uh, Hannibal Lecter um, from Silence of the Lambs is iconic. Uh, but so are the murderers uh, and cannibals like, I also brought up Albert Fish, mm. uh, R Richard Chase, which is um, the Sacramento vampire, and then also Jeffrey Dahmer. Yep. Uh, however, instead of infamous crimes, I'm actually going to explore the case of Albert Ventress. Ooh. Yes. So, the, and this was one that I had never heard of. And it makes me very upset that I had never heard of this because it actually brings up um, some really, uh, important holes in our criminal justice system that we need to plug um so uh that's primarily what my rant will be about um today um mm. uh, <laughs> so it's a good yeah. one to have it is it is um so albert ventress um is known as new york's own hannibal lecter uh he was an eighth grade social studies teacher in poughkeepsie 
and uh, his uh, unfortunate murder victim was 18-year-old Paul Masters. Uh, on the night of the incident, uh, it was on uh, a Sunday evening in August uh, 1979. Um, uh, Paul Masters uh, wandered into Fentress's backyard, um, which he was uh, then actually lured into the house where Fentress restrained him. Um, I would also like to put on record that there were um, some really unfounded rumors uh, saying that Paul Masters and a number of uh, his friends were vandalizing the house, and that's why he was there, um, and a lot of that is not true. Um, and I think that it was a way for some people to kind of, uh, I, just based off of some really disturbing comments that I read, um, it was often a way uh, to kind of victim blame yeah. uh, masters. And I, I didn't find that uh, to be, one, helpful, uh, and two, it was a blatant fucking lie. Um, so let's not slanderize, uh, uh, slander um, someone's uh, reputation and let's not justify a, a asshole. Please. Well, it also kind of seems like the male equivalent of, like, her skirt was too short, or she right. flirted with him. Like, right. seems the, like the... He wasn't asking for this. Right, yeah, he, no. I say that he was not asking for what happened to him next. Yeah, no, plus, I so. mean, I don't think, even if he was vandalizing something, that's not really, that's still not even a good enough reason for whatever to you're about to someone. say. Yeah, yeah. like, it's yeah. just, it doesn't, not at all. yeah. Yeah, so um, Fentress is the only living witness, um, but he did uh, describe in detail uh, what he did um, to uh, Masters. Um, he did sexually assault him. Uh, he tied him to a post uh, and also mutilated him. Uh, it was probably when he was alive, uh, unfortunately, and did uh, cut off his genitalia. Um, it is uh, then said that uh, Fentress shot Masters in the head and walked upstairs to then cook and eat the part that he cut off. And then Fentress went back downstairs to get more, found out that Masters was still alive, and then shot him again. So it was horrific uh, what this 18-year-old uh, had went through. Um, and I, again, stress uh highly enough that nobody should be making excuses for what happened to him under any circumstances. Um, so uh, that that is uh, what is reported to have happened. Uh, Fentress did uh, turn himself in and told officials uh, what uh, had happened. He had also told them that scenes from the movie Deliverance were playing in his head while he did it. Oh my he God. claimed, yep, he claimed to have written a script uh, for um, torturing and killing a child two days before, but was mortified by, by his own thoughts and apparently burned it. Um, I, I tried to do as much research as I could. Uh, not much was actually found on the actual trial that happened. Um, however, uh, Frentress was indeed arrested and he did confess to the crime. He did enter in a not guilty plea due to insanity and because the prosecutors accepted his insanity plea, he was not required to testify about the crime in court. So all of his crimes were never put into court records. This is important for coming up later. Oh, no. Yep. So because he was found insane, um, 
we're going to go ahead and skip uh, skip ahead to uh, 1999, where Fentress, at the age of 59, who had been locked up in mental hospitals for the past 22 years uh, for the sex mutilation and slaying of 18-year-old Paul Masters uh, in 1979. In April of 1999, a Suffolk County jury decided that Albert Fentress was no longer a danger to society and should go free. No. Yep. No. Uh, there's, there's more. There's more. Oh, in a lengthy no. appeal, and this was after a lengthy appeal of his sentencing, uh, he was currently at the Pilgrim State Psychiatric Center in Brentwood. Um, the sitting judge at the time, uh, sent, uh, Judge uh, Harry E. Uh, Seidel, um, of the state Supreme Court, considered this uh, considered a motion by prosecutors to overturn uh, the jury's decision, and that's why this was put before um, another jury in order for them to evaluate this. So it wasn't it wasn't a full release, um, but they they did he did want uh, a jury of his peers to evaluate uh, this case. Um, uh, because of um, or the the jury trial uh, followed uh, Mr. Or, I'm all confused in my notes here. Sorry, I'm getting flustered already by getting ready for my rant. It's okay. Um, <laughs> so the jury trial um, is are provided under New York's criminal law, but they are very rare to be allowed. So it was very rare for the Supreme Court to even allow this to happen. Um, and uh, state lawyers said that they did not believe uh, that anyone had ever been. Uh, had ever been successfully uh, requested that on Long Island, period. Um, they also said they, they, they do not recall a criminally insane patient ever being released by a jury in the metropolitan region. So this was a lot of firsts. There was not a lot of precedent. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was in the law to at least have things be evaluated. He was already in jail for 22 years, so the judge allowed it. Uh, the jury's decision shocked many in the criminal justice system and even went all the way up to the governor uh, in terms of people were like, hey, uh, maybe we should take a look at this. Um, after deliberating for more than six hours um, over two days, the six-person jury came back with the answers to two questions posed by the court. Is the petitioner, Albert Fentress, presently suffering from mental illness where he requires care, treatment, and re rehabilitation? The jury unanimously answered yes. The second question posed was, does Albert Fentress require inpatient care and treatment due to a real risk of substantial physical harm to his well-being or others? The jury answered by a vote of five to one, no. What? So they said... In effect, the jury decided that Fentress was still mentally ill, but not so ill that he had to be committed anymore. <laughs> yep. Yep. He... Oh, I... Hang on. Before you say anything, I'm going to give you the real fucking kicker here. So, because he did not testify about his crime in court, it did not have to go on record for uh... any of these proceedings. And then... Because, uh, and also, even though he committed a sexually motivated crime, he would still not have to register as a sex offender because he committed the crime before the state law on such notification was enacted. So not only would he be let loose with no ramifications, known to be mentally ill, he would not have to be uh, on the sexual, on, on any type of registration list. And because he was in psychiatric care, he's not on parole or probation. I wish you could see my face right now. Yep. I, what? Yep, a man who murdered, sexually assaulted, 
and mutilated and ate a person and ate and ate a person and ate a person could have gone free in 1999. I have some good news. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have some good My news. My chin is, like, on the floor. I know. I know. I'm, uh, like, pog emote right now, but, like, yeah. not in a good way. Yes. So with the waves of concern uh, that started flooding in all over the state uh, that a dangerous man who was still found to be mentally ill could walk the streets again, uh, the saving grace was that the same judge, Supreme Court Judge uh, Harry Seidel, set the verdict aside. He said the jurors. Uh, um, he said for the jurors to believe Fentress was mentally ill but not in need of institutional care, they would have to believe he would somehow, on his own, develop self-control and not pose uh, a danger to others. So therefore, he said, "I'm not going to release you um, because I still think you are a potential danger because the jury still found you to be mentally incompetent." Also, um, you ate a person. Also, you ate a fucking person. Yes, tell me about it. So um, another state judge uh, did, however, grant a second jury trial for Fentress to determine whether he should be released from the state hospital. So even though um, there was a call to not release him then, they did say, hey, we'll give you time to prepare. Um, This was from uh, Justice Robert Doyle. Um, and, uh, he did rule that he had a clear legal right to have a jury review his mental state and whether he should be set free, uh, despite what, uh, the county court judge had said. Um, so they said, hey, we're going to look at this again in 2002. So he's locked up for at least three more years. Um, so, uh, there's a lot of anxiety, um, of him, uh, getting, uh, set free and a lot of it was starting to amp up. There were already starting to be reports in December of 2001, uh, in a shocking, absolutely shocking turn of events, I mean law and order, freaking level drama, the day of the trial in 2002, two now grown adults had approached the DA's office and turned witnesses to the state saying that they were molestation victims of Fentress back when they were children. <gasps> in In court, in court, the DA, Edward McLaughlin, who had Fentress on the stand, came up and said, hey, I have these two people here who are saying that you sexually molested them uh, almost two decades earlier. And Fentress was completely caught off guard. There was a whole bunch of drama in, in the They actually had to pause proceedings in order to meet with the judge. Um, the victim, uh, both of these men are unidentified um, due to um, the fact that this did not actually go to court and because of the, the uh, horrific and violent nature of it. Um, even though they are adults now, the crimes were when they were children. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the DA was, was, very, um, was very protective um, of this fact, even though they both came forward and said, yes, we will testify against this asshole. Um, So the victim, who has kids of its own, told authorities authorities he decided to go public because he did not want another child to be victimized by a freed Fentress. Uh, The confessed cannibal uh, gave up his bid to be freed from the Long Island Mental Hospital after prosecutors accused him of molesting a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old boy in the assuming months before Master's death. So, th- so both of these incidences were assumed to be before uh, Masters died. So they think that this was a culmination of, of a lot of whatever feelings and, and, and disgusting urges that he had. Was building up, yeah. Yes. 
So during a hearing, this, there's more. God, there's more. I forgot how much there was to this. It, it, like reading all of these articles, I was like, I need a heart monitor on because I am having palpitations. Um, so, uh, so during the hearing um, in another courtroom, um, Fentress, uh, or, um, uh, Edward uh, McLaughlin, um, who is the same uh, DA, uh, was on a frickin' warpath against this guy, uh, against Fentress, and said that he should be recommitted not to the same low oh, – I, I definitely forgot to tell you. that. So the Pilgrim facility was a low – to or a minimum to low – uh, security prison. Uh, he was allowed weekend furloughs. Um, he could attend mass in a public church. Yeah. Um, and and there's he was a lot allowed... of suspicious things going on in church, so I don't yeah. know. Somewhere. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it was just there's so many things. There's there's just so many things. Um, and he said, uh, and he basically uh, made made the case to say because uh, Fentress never told therapist that he allegedly sexually abused um, uh, children in, before the 1979 murder um, that he was receiving um, he was receiving the incorrect care and therefore had to be recommitted oh. and not only recommitted he had to be recommitted to a maximum security um, facility in Mid-Hudson Psychiatric Center so McLaughlin had zero fucks to give at this point he yeah. was like not only are you going back away but you are going to a proper facility where you don't spend 22 years basically having weekend furloughs outside of everything that you're doing because you're a jerk yeah um, and like result, finger painting and like yeah group therapy yeah. no you don't deserve that you're you're a freaking sadist sadistic murderer so as a result mclaughlin claims um uh, doctors never diagnosed Fentress properly, and the treatment that he received was insufficient. Um, Fentress, uh, in the day, in, in his uh, defense, said that he must have repressed the memories because they were so traumatic. Um, you will see this throughout uh, a theme with him that everything was him. Masters lured me in. I'm so sorry Ooh. I couldn't control my urges. I was having troubles. I'm clinically insane. It's just very me, 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 I, I, I. And it's just, there's no remorse in anything that he does. He's never said sorry. Um, his, um, uh, Paul Masters' uh, father actually says this, that he's never received an apology. He's never received any acknowledgement uh, that he took his son away from him. Um, and uh, and is just a, is just, uh, he, he's either so insane that he has no human decency um, or he's, uh, you know, Joker level, super sane, and just doesn't care. Right. So it's one of those two. Um, authorities did deem him an escape risk and also added this on top of the court case, uh, saying that a hospital worker came forward saying that Fentress told her that if he did not win his long sought fr uh, freedom in court, that he would escape on one of his long weekends. Um, yep. Wild. Yep, yep, yep. So um, this dramatic call for attention was all not. Because in light of his new testi testimony by these two um, other victims, the Supreme Court judge um, at the another Supreme Court judge uh, ruled at that time that he is very dangerous to society and ordered Fentress to be in a more secure facility and, in fact, recommitted to the Mid-Hudson Psychiatric Center. Um, in accordance with a New York state law, um, the... Um, uh, his appeals—they're—they're um, they're not really appeals. They're not really parole hearings. They're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're like—they're like detention hearings. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and whether or not they can they can retain um, custody of him as a patient, essentially. Um, so as I was reading this, I was just like, man, you know, this has been going on for some time. Guess when his next hearing is going to be? Oh. February 2020. No! Yep. So oh, he actually, my God. He, he actually bypassed and said he's going to pass on his 2016 one um, and his 2018 one and said, hey, I'll see you suckers in uh, February 2020 with a new court case. Oh, my God. So, and that is the fucking story of the treacherous Albert goddamn Fentress. I can't believe I didn't know that. And also that, like, he's still kicking enough to have, like, a court date. Yep. In 2020. Not, not only is he still kicking, he's he's learned nothing. No. He's learned nothing. Of course not. He's, they no, never he's, do. He's just like like there there are very few people that I advocate to remain in prison well into their 80s, and honestly, this fucker is worth it. And yeah. and I I'm sorry I swore a lot this episode, but at the same time, like fuck him. Yeah. Fuck God. him. <laughs> so. Jeez. Um, Yikes. Yeah. So, so I, I was in between four different cases um, for this, but obviously this was the one that, that um, had yeah. the, the biggest connection with the, with the deliverance um, reference, and it was just such a freaking left turn that I was like, I have to go down this one. But I also had um, the cases of Omaima Nelson, um, the consensual cannibalism victim, the Rottenberg cannibal Armin Muiz, mm-hmm. um, and then Isia uh, Sa- uh, Sagawa, the uh, Japanese uh, cannibal turned celebrity so oh, okay yeah so I, I had a i had a whole bunch uh stocked up but i knew that i was gonna go on a fucking rant about that so yeah well, God damn i mean don't worry i also kind of like i had like two or actually i think it was like three other like cases yep. that i like took out because i was like I'm, i don't think i have time and um it was just going down like a whole other kind of like rabbit hole of like, yep. but like there was, um, there's a cult, a, a cannibal cult that was like discovered eating people's body parts, you know, just like, but like, um, it was 29 members of a cult. Oh, wow. Which had killed seven people. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Actually, I think I came across that one. Is that the one? Actually. It's the Papua New Guinea one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like a village. And then the other story that I left out was um, Shauna and Dominique Decree, who were, uh, yes. it was a family that had killed like their relatives because yep. they had like belonged to like a demon cult. Although yep. I left that one out because there wasn't I couldn't find enough information about that one. Like that one kind of like fit into the like the whole like Outlast and like Fallout shenanigans, but like yep. and I I wanted to delve into more of like the demon cult aspect of it, but I couldn't find like proper sources, sources. that could like back yeah. up. It was just one person's comment. That they were like, I think they belong to a demon cult, but like Ugh. no one could like actually back that up, and so I was like, yeah. do we want to talk about that? Maybe not. Yeah, um, and, and especially with the timeliness of um, his next potential hearing that could happen in February, it was just one of those like keep an eye out in New York on this bullshit and make sure this fucker stays in whatever hole he deserves to be in. Yeah, because good gravy. Yeah, there was also a Canadian cult that I like discovered as well. But they didn't eat anyone, so I, like, didn't think it fit. Um, 
they were crazy they were like a family of like there was like tons of children i think it was called um like the ant hill kids cult or something like there were so many kids that were in this cult but no one like i mean horrible things happened i don't want to downplay that horrible things did happen to these children yes but nobody was eaten so i didn't feel like it fit yeah this episode yeah but i feel you on like leaving stuff out and picking the juiciest i figured the sonny bean thing was like oh yeah no that's that that's that's legendary um chef's the the whole the whole the whole uh piece of that and i had um i had so many i had dinsburg man eater a guy named metal fang oh my god that's what what he's known as because he like he had one and he ate people it's just there's so there's so much so well i think it's also <laughs> I think it's also important to note uh, if if our listeners are super interested in cannibalism, I feel like we covered um, a the darker like side of cannibalism, which is like the serial killer, sick and twisted um, murderers who like enjoy eating people. Um, while I was talking to my mom about like us recording this episode, mm-hmm. she kept bringing up like. She was like, oh, what about this case? Or what about this case? And because um, she's also a true crime like junkie like I am. Wonder where it got Wonder it Wonder where it got it. Um, mm-hmm. But like all her stories were like survival ones. Like people that were like driven to cannibalism out of like desperation. Um, oh, like like the Donner Party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was one of the ones she mentioned. She mentioned the Donner yeah. Party and then she mentioned the um, the plane crash Yes. What was it, like a soccer team or something? Yeah, that was awful. Yeah. Ter- like, But I just think it was very interesting that we both picked more of the sadistic, like, serial killer, um, well, especially, especially crazy with people. Mo- yeah, especially with the motifs. Well, especially more yours than mine. You know, you know, my, mine were unwitting um, cannibals almost. It was kind of like a Sweeney Todd. Right. Yeah, because uh, they were, like, mind-controlled into it exactly um but you know but i think i think the 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 motif itself of um of the the consumption not only the consumption of flesh but even you know just just the prevalence of zombies in in pop culture and and you you know the fact that most of the time you have to tie in that cannibals are crazy because no sane person would would eat eat another human being yeah yeah so yeah, and it, I mean, like, obviously in Outlast, it was also mind control. It wasn't mold. Yes. It, it wasn't mold, but it was, it was the experiments that were being done to these inmates were driving them to the point of insanity. Right. Where I mean, granted, Monera's a little touch and go there because, like, <laughs> he seems like the exper- uh, the experiments may have enhanced his already demented psyche. Right. Um, but I mean, the people, the the scald and the 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 people in the cult in Outlast Two. I mean, they were probably normal people before these experiments were done to them. Right. Um, maybe religious, but you know, not to the point of cult insanity. Though we don't know because we, we don't know who they were before the experiments. But exactly. But yeah, it's definitely on that side where like, but there are other cases of cannibalism. Where it's like out of pure desperation, which I feel like yep. is a whole other aspect of like exploration and and diving into like being at the point of like it's either this or I die, right? Um, 
because there's which in itself is fascinating right which exactly which in itself is fat like that's just like a whole other level of like crazy and 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 fascination and how the human mind works and how we make decisions based on survival um the only video game i could think of that has that is the forest right which i mean that's but that's like either or because like you meet a cult of or or just like a tribe of villagers that engage in cannibalism openly um which is not survival i mean it, it could be survival based but at this point it's probably not um Maybe at once time it was, and then it right. just became, it became tradition. tradition. But yeah. as a as a player, you can opt into cannibalism in order to survive if you can't find food. And you also, uh, you know, start wearing their body parts as armor. So yeah, that's, you're you're that's... not you're not willing, but you're also like not saying no when it's convenient. Right. <laughs> so true. And then I also thought of the hundred because, like, that's I'm obsessed. Oh yeah. They in in later seasons, spoilers, you guys. In later seasons, they run into a food sort shortage situation, where they turn to eating people to survive for six years, and it's like insane. But yep. I mean, that's like a whole again survival cannibalism versus like sick and twisted cannibalism it's like it's just cannibalism in general there's so many different facets to it that's just like yikes yep crazy um so i hope everyone's ready to eat thanksgiving dinner now (laughs) or you've already eaten it because it's probably i'm assuming this is coming out yeah depending on how well i am at uploading things this is probably out past thanksgiving but i'm sure you have a lot of leftovers um from your thanksgiving feasts yeah um but yeah so do you have a a fun thing you want to share kind of lighten the mood of eating people (laughs) (laughs) um i will as of recording this and then uh what will be uh, I'll sure. I sh- I think I would have passed uh, by now, but I'm actually uh, getting my certified scrum master um, uh, accolades uh, this week. I'm actually doing two day courses, and then I'll be taking uh, that stuff. I'm a web project uh, manager. For those of you who didn't catch our introductions in the first uh, episode, um, and yeah, I'm really excited to have that. It's kind of the the next step um, in in my professional uh, direction, and I'm looking forward to Which is awesome. having it done. What about you? Um, my mom is coming to visit me for Thanksgiving. So as people are listening to this, she's probably already come and gone. But um, I'm just looking forward to that. I discovered today, so this day that we are recording, um, that I have not seen her in six months. (gasps) Which is insane in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to it because, like, on my 24 years on this planet, I have never gone this long without seeing my mom. Like, ever. Like, not wow. even in college. In college, I think the longest I went was 10 weeks. So, six months just seems crazy to me. I'm also 
I am also almost 10 years your senior, and that's kind of blowing my brains right now. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I didn't mention age. It's totally okay. Um, but well, yeah, I'm, that's I get, crazy. I get confused for being a 25-year-old all the time, so skincare it's bitches. because you are. It. You absolutely are. <laughs> you're an honorary 25-year-old. Um, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Also, a good thing for both of us, um, also maybe by the time i mean i'm hoping again this podcast like i'm hoping this comes out before but nancy drew midnight in salem is about to be out if it's not out already if you're listening to this um so very excited it's been four years i don't know what it's i don't know what to expect i don't Um, know either i'm nervous yeah (laughs) it's been so long and we both hold that franchise very very dear very dear um so you know i can play a uh, message in a haunted mansion with my eyes closed um because i have played that game so fucking much um so i cannot wait um to see what the next installment is now that there are as many significant changes that have happened at her interactive mm-hmm. as there have so. yes yes also i'm just like the, i feel like this is gonna just hit close to home in the sense of like not only is it a franchise that's very near and dear to me but also it's coming back with a salem massachusetts mystery yeah yeah and that's like where i mean that's not exactly where i grew up but like it's very close to where i grew up so like it feels like a home episode so it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be something that would be be something that would be like nancy drew and the ghost of eastland like that's yeah. like that that's what that would be for me with the eastland mm-hmm. uh disaster in chicago yeah so. exactly so love that yeah. but um yeah this was this was our second episode we did we did good I we did we it did we did it and and thanks also for 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 sticking with us if you're you've tuned in to both episodes one and two um obviously uh this is a monthly uh podcast so we do make them fairly lengthy yes uh, we also like chatting because we like each other so i hope you enjoy <laughs> our true. banter yes that's and also true, that's true. if you were intrigued by anything that you uh heard in this uh episode feel free uh to uh, find us on social and ask us some questions yes absolutely um, yeah, we'd be happy to we'd be happy to answer or, or give you some source material or uh, whatever else. We're happy to do it. Yeah, we're both we're both Twitch streamers, so if you would like to uh, engage in some more fun conversation while we're live on Twitch, uh, feel free to pop into either of our channels for sure um, and continue the conversation. We love talking about these topics um, and getting more in depth. Also, if you enjoyed both this episode one of these episodes all of these episodes um please leave us a review you know uh right now we're doing this monthly of course the more feedback we get the more plans we could make so um Mm -hmm. please please let us know what you think and uh yeah we can't wait to do the next episode especially because it's it's very very special um i think it's going to be so it's gonna um, be awesome it's gonna be awesome so yeah, thank you guys so much for for tuning in. We super appreciate you, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll catch you later. Catch you later, Thanks, friends. Thanks, friends, and stay sleuthy. Stay sleuthy. Oh, I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> <laughs>